This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Monday, November 21st. I'm Nyla Voodoo. Here's what we're covering. A groundbreaking climate compensation fund for developing nations, plus a deadly shooting in Colorado Springs. But first, savings account interest rates are an inflation buffer for some. That's our one big thing. One welcome result of the Fed raising interest rates is that people are seeing higher income on their risk-free savings accounts. We asked you if that's been your experience lately. Listener Tyler in Glassboro, New Jersey, wrote us to say, my savings account interest rate is at 2.75%, and I wouldn't be surprised to see 3% sometime soon. Axios' Matt Phillips has the reporting on this. Hey, Matt. Hey, Nyla. Matt, is Tyler's experience typical? Yeah, it is typical at the moment. One of the flip sides of the Fed raising interest rates, which has done so much damage to the stock market, is that it's making saving your money in cold hard cash a little bit more appealing lately. And how much of a change does this represent from the past? Since the financial crisis in about 2008, 2009, interest rates have pretty much been so so low that it's been uninteresting for anyone to sock away their money. So uh, this is a, definitely a change from the last 10 years or so. And is this having an effect for Americans right now, especially as we're thinking about maybe shaky economic times for some people? It it definitely is. I mean, there's always some people who are going to be savers, but for sure, the rise in interest rates has made the sort of tendency to sock your money away a little bit more strong over the last year or so. And that's really the point in a certain sense of what the Fed is doing. You know, you can think about inflation as too much money running around at one point. So If the Fed is trying to keep money from running around, one way to do it is to have people lock it up for a year in a CD or a a savings account. And that's sort of what these high interest rates can do. You mentioned CDs. My mom was actually sharing how much she's been looking at savings rates on CDs. Is that a good option for people looking to save right now? I feel like I haven't seen ads for CDs in a long time. Well, yeah, there wasn't much to advertise. I mean, the interest rates were so low. They were basically way below way below zero in real terms. That is sort of accounting for the level of inflation that we saw over the last decade, which is about 2% or so. But now, you know, you can expect to see more advertisements as those rates have been climbing up a bit and are making that a bit more attractive. Like the average is about 2% for a a year CD. You know, you don't have to be super skilled to go online and find some, especially some online bank accounts or online financial institutions that pay a lot higher than that, like some sometimes close to four. When you're talking about something like a CD, when you factor in the rate of inflation, does 2% actually mean you're making money? No, you're not, actually. I mean, if if inflation stays where it is now, which is around 8%, I think the last consumer price index number was 7.7%, your real rate of interest is going to be negative, which means you you are losing money. I mean, that's one of the interesting kind of scary things about inflation is your money is losing value just sitting there, you know, about 8% a year. This is one way to at least counteract some of the worst aspects of that. 
Axios' Matt Phillips. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. At least five people were killed and 25 injured late Saturday night in a shooting at an LGBT nightclub called Club Q in Colorado Springs. The attack came a day before the Transgender Day of Remembrance, which the club had planned to mark. Mayor John Southers spoke at a news conference yesterday. This is a horrible crime, and we have a suspect in custody. We must do this right and ensure justice is served for the victims of this tragedy. President Biden also issued a statement yesterday saying, quote, we must address the public health epidemic of gun violence in all of its forms, end quote. With fewer than 50 days left this year, there have already been 602 mass shootings in America and at least 34 mass murders. That's according to data from the Gun Violence Archive. In a moment, an unlikely climate justice agreement at COP27. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Welcome back to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boudou. COP27, the UN Climate Change Conference, yesterday produced a first-ever deal requiring wealthy industrial countries to compensate poor nations for the effects of climate change. Despite this breakthrough in climate diplomacy, the summit in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, didn't move past longstanding energy disputes, even as planet warming emissions continue to rise. Axios's climate and energy reporter Andrew Friedman joins us with the latest. Hey, Andrew. Hey there. Thanks for having me. We talked about this compensation fund on the pod on Friday, and it seemed unlikely. So how did this end up happening after all? So this was really a surprising turnabout. The fund going into it crossed a U.S. red line. The U.S. red line negotiating position was that they would not create a fund this year. They would create a process to create a fund. However, the EU had a change of heart and decided that they would permit a fund to be created at this negotiation. And that put pretty much every developing country as well as the EU on one side and the United States on another. And the United States eventually came around to the consensus position. So what's the promise of this fund? What might it offer long term? So symbolically, this is something that developing nations have fought for since the first UN climate treaty was passed in 1992. This has been a long time coming. This is a climate justice victory by all accounts. It would essentially, once it's put into place, it would allow industrialized countries to put money towards compensating the developing countries that are being hardest hit by climate change, but did the least to cause it. So it's essentially a little bit of a polluter pays fund where the countries that did the most to create the problem are paying first, and the countries that did the least to cause the problem but suffering the most will be compensated in some way to help them withstand the impacts. Did they agree on a number? 
No, there's no numbers in there. One could assume that the numbers would be in the billions. There's a committee that is being formed that has representation from developing countries. That committee is supposed to report back on recommendations at the next COP, which is in the UAE. This could take years to be truly worked out. But symbolically and philosophically, what it essentially means is there's a recognition that the era of climate impacts are here and that they must be dealt with and that the industrialized world has a responsibility. That seems like a lot. But what else do we need to know about how this overtime COP27 went? There were really acrimonious discussions over whether or not to call for a phase-out or phase-down in fossil fuel use. It was a grueling, more-than-two-week negotiation that went well into overtime. You know, delegates sleeping in the hallways. The agreement was passed, you know, in pre-dawn hours. I think it was a historic gathering. It was a historic outcome. But it was a mixed bag where a lot of parties went away disappointed, but determined to work for the next year to try to get a greater ambition on emissions cuts at COP28. Andrew Friedman is Axios' climate and energy reporter. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you. We hope you're getting ready for Thanksgiving. It's honestly my favorite American holiday, just because of how simple the celebration is, spending time with your community and giving thanks. With that in mind, I'd love to hear from you all about what you're especially thankful for this year. If you wouldn't mind recording a brief voice memo about that with your name and where you live, and you can email it to me at podcasts at axios.com, or you can text it to me at 202-918-4893. We've also got all of that information in our show notes, and we'll play some of your responses in a show later this week. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Work is like sex or food. You're either getting it or looking for it. On his podcast, Roy's Job Fair, comedian Roy Wood Jr. from Comedy Central's The Daily Show sits down with real people from all lines of work about their most memorable jobs, employment vacancies they're looking to fill, scams they've run at the office, and of course, the cringeworthy office romances. Listen to Roy's Job Fair with Roy Wood Jr. every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.